Hello, friends. I'm Pastor Pitts Evans. Welcome to the Whole Word Podcast. Let's get right to the Word of God. Genesis chapter 8. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down. And on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the tenth month, and on the first day of the tenth month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After forty days, Noah opened a window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven, and it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was still water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So as we get started in this chapter, we see that it's five months after the rains had stopped falling, and the ark has landed on top of a mountain that the Bible names as the mountains, plural, of Ararat. Now, there's been a lot of conjecture as to where that is. Uh, most modern scholars believe that it is in uh, modern-day Turkey and part of the area of modern-day Turkey. But the truth is, we don't know where Ararat is. You know, from time to time, you'll hear accounts or see documentaries that they've found um, Noah's Ark. But the truth is, if they made a substantial find uh, that could be proven to be something from antiquity, you know, 5,000 years ago or thereabouts, then it would make big news. So 
I don't believe that they've ever actually found Noah's Ark. There's a lot of candidates. There's a lot of conjecture. But my personal belief is that the Ark has not been found yet. But it settled on top of a mountain, and the waters were receding and continuing to recede. The rain had stopped. And so Noah first sent a raven out to see if the raven could live on the land that he assumed was rising up in various places. And the raven didn't find any place to get situated and so returned to the ark. And then in Genesis 8, uh, verse 8, we read, Then he sent out a dove to see if the waters had receded from the surface of the ground. So this, this dove, this test of the dove. All through the scriptures, the dove is identified with the Lord and the ways of the Lord. But this is the first mention of a dove. And so this dove was sent out um, by mankind looking for safety, looking for a place to live, to see if the earth had become habitable again. In verse 9, the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. And so Noah took it back into himself and he waited seven more days and he sent the dove out again. And uh, this time, when the dove returned, there was an olive leaf in its beak. And so there was uh, vegetation was starting to form on the earth. But it was still not to the point where the the dove could stay away and start its new life. So it returned to, to Noah in the ark. And then in verse 12, Noah waited seven more days and sent the dove out again. But this time it did not return to him. So the, uh, the land had become habitable. Uh, there were trees. There was habitat for this dove. And Noah observed this sign as a favorable sign that the waters were abating. In verse 15, God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. And so, of course, they responded. In verse 17, he said, Bring out every kind of living creature with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. Now, this is very similar to the original command to the created order of the animals, kingdom, and to mankind in the first chapter of Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. And so, once again, uh, this is a new creation account, if you will, starting over again with this group on the ark, and they're given the same mandate that God had given the created order after the seven days of creation, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and increase in number. In verse 20, Noah built an altar to the Lord. Now, I want to just stop right there. This is the first mention of an altar in Scripture. There's a mention that God had killed animals to clothe Adam and Eve. Some view that as animal sacrifice, perhaps Cain and Abel, of course, offered some type of offering to the Lord, but there's no mention of an altar. Abel apparently offered animals, so we assume that there was some kind of um, vehicle for offering these animals, but there's no mention of an altar. This is the first mention in Scripture of an altar. And in the context, it says that taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Now, how did Noah know what were quote-unquote clean animals and clean birds. Moses would later specify which um, animals had been identified as clean and which birds had been identified as clean for sacrifice. But here, Noah had a direct word. He preceded Moses by many generations. But Noah had a direct word from Yahweh as to which animals would be acceptable. And so this is a foreshadowing of the sacrificial system. Noah built an altar, and he offered animals, and he offered birds, and they're designated as clean. They were acceptable according to the tenets, the later tenets of Judaism. And then the Lord promised never again to destroy all living creatures. In verse 21, the Lord smelled 
the pleasing aroma of the sacrifice and said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So he makes this promise that will endure through all the ages. He's never going to utterly destroy all living from the earth again. But he also says that even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, in other words, the Lord notes that there is an original sin nature in mankind. He's observed this. He's not causing it to happen. This is an observation by the Almighty that uh, we are inclined toward evil. And it takes the redemptive purposes of God in our lives to get us to resist our normal fallen nature, our sin nature, if you will. So this um, Genesis 8.21 refers to our fallen nature, our original sin nature. It's a very important first mention once again. In verse 22, now this is an interesting verse, and I want to spend the rest of our time on verse 22. It reads, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. I'll read that again. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. In other words, you'll always be able to identify seed time and harvest time. You'll always be able to identify summer and winter, and you'll always be able to identify day and night for as long as the earth endures. But conversely, when you're no longer able to identify when is seed time and when is harvest and when does summer start and when does summer end and when does winter start and when does winter end, is this a harbinger or is this an indicator that it may be time for the earth to no longer continue? In other words, can the converse of this verse, the cessation of these things, indicate the end of the age or the end of the world as we know it? So I want to tell you a story. I work a lot overseas I work a lot in various countries, um, in Asia and Africa, and many of the countries I work in, we build churches and schools, and we do outdoor outreaches and so forth. These countries have traditional rainy season and dry season, and so we have to plan our outdoor building projects to be started and completed within the dry season. We have to plan our outdoor outreaches, same for the dry season. And about seven to ten years ago, these seasons started to become a little less predictable. And so that's continued. For example, last year in December, we were in Liberia and Guinea, which um, traditionally the dry season begins in late September, early October. But we experienced serious rainy conditions, almost the monsoon conditions in part of December of 2019 in both Liberia and uh, Guinea. And that has become more common, the blurring of the seasons. And so part of the problem is that when they can no longer predict when the rains will come and when they'll cease, it's not just a matter of construction projects or outdoor meetings. They don't know when to plant seeds and they don't know when to expect the harvest to come in because the cycle, if you will, of seed time and harvest has been blurred. Now, what they've been told is this is climate change. This is global climate change. 
But what the Bible tells us is the Lord controls the the rains and the seasons and so forth. And in fact, in many places in the Old Testament, he mentions that he withholds rain on one place and brings it on another specifically to get the attention of the people, that they'll recognize this is the purview of the Lord, if you will. It's something that's taken place out of the ordinary. The natural order has been upended. Well, friends, our generation has been programmed to believe that mankind is uh, responsible for the changes in the uh, the rainy seasons and the summer and winter and so forth. I personally believe that the Lord is doing these things to get the attention of mankind. I'm not saying that there's no human um, impact on our environment, but as most of you know, Christians should be among the best stewards of what's been entrusted to them in the earth of those on the planet. And so we certainly recognize that it's wise for us to conserve resources and those sort of things. But the changing of the seasons, the changing of the cyclical nature of African rains and Asian rains and African dry seasons and Asian dry seasons, these things, I believe, are beyond the the scope of what mankind has an impact on, a global impact on. I think God is speaking. And so back to this Genesis 8:22, the Lord says, "For as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest and summer and winter will be predictable, they'll never cease." So friends, what does it mean when they're no longer predictable? When summer and winter become blurred, when rain and dry become blurred, when seed time and harvest become so blurred that these nations literally don't know when to plant and when to expect to harvest. I'm telling you as a personal witness, I've seen this with my own eyes. It's taken place in our generation. I am not telling you definitively that this is a sign that the earth soon may not continue to endure as we've known it, but I do believe it's the hand of God trying to wake mankind up and say, turn to me. Turn to me for your rains, turn to me for your seasons, turn to me for your your harvest, for your environment, for your needs. Turn to me. And yes, live according to biblical principles, but live according to the direction of the God of heaven. And so I want us to redirect our eyes now uh, to the Lord God Almighty. So Lord, you said that never again would you destroy all living creatures as you did in the time of the flood. But your word does make mention of a great judgment in the New Testament and a a renovation of the world, a renewal of the world, if you will. You said in Genesis 8.22 that for as long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest and summer and winter would never cease. Oh Lord, I've just made an observation that these things are not yet ceased, but they're certainly becoming less defined and less easy to predict. Lord, I pray that mankind would look to you not to the scientists, not to the, the pseudo-intellectuals that say mankind is in charge of the, the planet, Lord. We would look to you, the Creator, God, for our deliverance and for our guidance. And yes, Lord, I pray that we would all be good stewards of the natural resources of the earth. Lord, may Christians be found to be the, uh, the best stewards of the created order. But Lord, ultimately, we recognize the Creator and creation, Lord, the the earth is not an entity, a God, if you will. Lord, you are God, and the earth is your creation. It's the work of your hands. So, Lord, we ask for you to draw men's hearts to yourself. Lord, that there would be an awareness of the change in these things, that the people's eyes would not be filled with pseudoscience detracting them from what the God of heaven is saying and doing. I ask you all these things now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Whole Word. 
It was brought to you by Whole Word Fellowship and the Northern Virginia House of Prayer. If you were encouraged, please share our podcast with your friends. We'd also appreciate it if you'd hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app and take a few moments to write a review. If you'd like more information on our church and our ministry, you can go to wholeword.net or wholewordpodcast.com for more information. Thank you again, and may the Lord Jesus bless you today and always.